censor the word of God, those who would censor prayer, those who would try to limit church attendance. I remind you this morning, the consequences are found in verses 2 and 3. And the godly are rejoicing because all the suffering, they left it in God's hands and God took care of it in his time. The fallen rebels reminds us that God would mete out his justice in his time. He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. We see the fallen rebels. We see the fact that God wins all the time. We see that not only Satan a defeated foe and sin's a defeated foe, but we'll see later on, death is a defeated foe. We see the fallen rebels. But notice something else in chapter 25. We see a faith relationship that we can rejoice over. We see the fallen rebels. What you notice in verse, verse 4, what a wonderful verse here. In verse 4, we see God, a fortifying refuge. Notice in verse 4, he says, For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress. And I pondered that verse for a long time. One of the greatest things God does for us is when he brings us to the place of utter helplessness, of weakness, when we have no strength. And it's during those times, and only during those times, is his strength so apparent in our lives. Because that's when we experience the grace of God. The Lord says his grace is sufficient for you and I. He gives us enough grace for our trial. He gives us enough grace for our sorrows. He gives us enough grace to be godly. He gives us enough grace when the persecution comes. And we look at this verse, and he says he gives strength to the poor. Now, he's not talking about economically poor. Spirit, those who have been broken, those whose circumstances and the pressures have felt like a mountain on their shoulders and have crushed them under the burden of their weight, He's blessed are the poor in spirit. He talks about here that he gives strength to them. Why? Because God's strength is made perfect only in our weakness. Listen, God is not attracted to your strength and my strength as much as he's attracted to our weaknesses. He gives strength to the poor. He gives strength to the needy. May God help us to realize during this pandemic we're going through, we're a needy people. We need God more than we've ever needed him before. We need his power more than we've ever needed him before. We need his grace more than we've ever needed him before. May we realize today his strength is made perfect in our weakness. But we see something else. Look at chapter 25 again, verse 4. He says here, he's a refuge from the storm. Have you ever been caught in a downpour that's been really bad? You know the importance of getting under a covering, finding a place you can go to. And thank God this morning, when we go through the storms of life, and we will, and maybe some of you are, he's a refuge for us. He's a hiding place. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He's there exactly when you need him. He's there for you when the downpour comes. He's there for every storm. He's never far away. He's a refuge from the storm. Notice something else. He's a shadow from the heat. This past week, we had a, quite of a, uh, a heat wave that hit us around here in the Bay Area. It was a very oppressive heat. It got past 70 degrees. It just was very hot. I went out on uh, one of those days and tried to get a, a daily running late in the day. 
And uh, it was about 7 o'clock, and it was still very hot. And, uh, man, as I walked out, the sun was still beating hard at 7 p.m. And I said, man, I've got to find some shade. And I was thankful for the shade. I found a, a row of trees as I was running. Got into that row of trees, going up a hill. And I was very thankful for the shade for about five minutes. And then I got back in the brutal heat. But the shade from the heat was exactly what I need. Listen, sometimes the heat of the trial, you feel like that's all you can take. But thank God Jesus is that shade for us. Amen? Thank God today he's, that, he's the shadow of the wings that we can hide under. He's the shadow that's reliable. You can hide under those wings, and you don't have to be under that heat there. He's just saying here to us, he's a fortifying refuge. Then he says something else. When the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. I've been in a sandstorm every, a couple times in the past. And if you walk against a wall where the, where the storm, is, the sand is kicking up, it's pretty brutal. Because the wall acts as a barrier, you're part of that barrier, and it, it's very stinging. But the Lord says here, he becomes a shadow to us when the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall. He says in verse 5, he's a heat in a dry place, and heat with the shadow of a cloud. Listen, this morning, he's a fortifying refuge. We can rejoice because as we go through trials, and we go through suffering, and we go through difficulty. He's that shade when we need it. He's that refuge we need to hide into. He is that, he's that strength we need when we feel like we're crawling on our faces and on our knees and we need God's strength. Thank God today that he's a fortifying refuge. But we see something else here. We see in verse six to seven, verses uh, six, something else here that's encouraging. He says, and in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people. Now, all people are talking about saved people. When Isaiah wrote it, there were Jews in mind. But when God spoke to him about this and he wrote it, there were Jews and Gentiles, all saved people. Gentiles and Jews that get saved. And so he's reflected, number one, that the godly are rejoicing because of their faith relationship. And the godly are rejoicing because of the fallen rebels. And the godly are rejoicing because of a fortifying refuge. But in verse 6, as we get into this, he talks about the godly rejoicing because there's the feasting of the redeemed. The feasting of the redeemed. He's talking about that in the very presence of God in the millennium, every day, every moment is like a banquet. It's like a feast with the Lord. Notice the description he gives, which if we lived in those days, we would appreciate it a little bit more. Verse 6, he says, and in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people. He's talking about the worship of God there at Jerusalem. All people being, all that are saved are coming to Jerusalem to worship God. He says, he will call it a feast of fat things. Now, we, we live in a day and time where eating fat is very bad. Eating fat will clog your arteries and give you, uh, give you bad, it would be bad for your, 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 your carotid arteries and bad for your heart arteries. But back in those days, eating fat was a good thing. If you wanted to indulge in bacon, you could indulge in bacon. Amen? You know, uh, you could do that. If you wanted to indulge on, on fatty pork, you could do those kind of things there. And so the image here is of a king who's invited people to a sumptuous banquet. Now, back in those days when they had banquets, they didn't have a time limit. They didn't rush out. Banquets lasted for days. Wedding feasts lasted for days. They had a lot of things, and what they would do is they'd prepare their best. They would kill what they called the fatted calf or the kid. And at that time, they served the fat. Everybody ate fat. It was good to eat fat in those days. It showed respect to the host who was feeding you. And so the image there is that the king was giving you of the best that he had. He was giving you the utmost to partake of. So he calls it here in chapter 25, verse 6. Notice this. He calls it a feast of fat things. He calls it a feast of, uh, of uh, 
of uh, fat things full of marrow. And that's just a description of the fact that it's a great fat banqueting time. And then he used another description. He talked about freshly grape juice. He called it wine on the leaves. Now you want to distinguish that from being settled on the leaves. Being settled on the leaves is different from wine on the leaves. Wine on the leaves is talking about grapes that have been crushed. The fluid has drained into a container. And as it's drained into the container, the sediments are still in that fluid. Lees are that sediment. The lees are slowly filtering down from the fluid down to the bottom. Wine on the lees, juice on the lees is considered the best juice because it is at its purest state. It tastes just like it was just freshly squeezed. It hasn't fermented completely at that time. It hasn't crusted on the bottom or settled on the lees. It's representing the best and most choicest grape juice that you could drink of. Now notice what God is describing here. He's talking about a feast of fat things, a feast of fat things on the marrow. He's talking about wine on the lees and wine on the lees well refined. You know what he's saying there? God gives us his best. God is giving us himself. God is giving us the best to, to enjoy during heaven. In heaven, those are wonderful things. We're going to enjoy God's best in our life. He doesn't give us second best. He doesn't give us third best. He gives us the best. Why? Because he's giving us of himself. That's a wonderful thing this morning. Don't you know? Don't you know? Those are the precious things of heaven. Don't you know that we can enjoy Jesus now just like we'll enjoy him in eternity? Don't you know that living the Christian life is fat on the marrow and wine on the lees? Don't you know that you get God's best every, each and every time you come into the presence of God? I'm just saying this is the feasting redeemed. That's why David, when he wrote Psalms 23, he said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. David was describing wine on the lees. David was, de was describing the fatted calf and the fat on the marrow. He says, listen, my enemies are watching as I partake of it. I want to tell you this morning, when you go to your devotions, when you meet with God, God never gives you less than best. He always gives himself to you. You always want more of Jesus. You want more of that fat. You want more of wine on the leaves. You want the best that Jesus Christ gives. That's the godly rejoicing in all of that. Lazarus got raised from the dead. The next thing we read about Lazarus is that Simon the leper had a feast at his house. Remember that? Many were invited to come. Lazarus sat at that table with them that feasted with the Lord. And there again, he was enjoying fellowship with our Lord. The fat on the marrow, the wine on the lees, the godly rejoicing because we have the feasting as the redeemed people of God. We feast on the Lord. We feast on his goodness. He never gives us less than best. He gives us that which is the best for us to live. And by the way, when we look at wine on the leaves, he's talking about that which is not filtered. God doesn't filter anything out. He gives you and I always his best. But it gets better than that. The godly rejoice because of a faith relationship. The godly rejoice because of the fallen rebels. The godly rejoice because of the feasting of the redeemed. But notice verses 7 and 8. Watch this. The godly rejoice because all frustrations are removed. All frustrations are removed. Notice in verse 7. He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all the people. And the veil that is spread over all the nations. Paul described looking in the glass darkly. A veil 
keeps you from seeing what's on the other side. A veil keeps you from seeing what you need to see. And the Lord says, listen, there's a, there's a day coming. The veil and the covering will be removed. Everything that doesn't make sense now will make sense in eternity. He'll make it crystal clear. The veil's removed. You're wondering right now, why am I going through this suffering? You're wondering right now, why am I going through so much pain? You're wondering right now, why is this all happening? Listen, I can't, I can't give you the answer now, but he said in verse 7, we're going to rejoice because the veil will be removed and the covering will be destroyed. He'll let us know all that. Hey, that's what Joseph said. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Sometimes we don't really know what that good is, but he's going to remove that covering. But it gets better than that. Look at verse 8. Here's the main frustration. Here's the main frustration. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Death will be no more. The last enemy he'll destroy is death. He says this in verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory. Where there's death, there's sorrow. Where there's death, there's separation. Where there's death, there's a hole in our heart. And the emptiness in our soul. There's the feeling of those memories that have quickly gone through our mind. But there's a day coming when death will be swallowed up in victory. He says here, the ultimate enemy will be, will be removed. Death is swallowed up in victory. Notice Hosea 13, 14. I will ransom thee from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plague. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. 1 Corinthians 15, we read this at many funeral services, verses 53 to 57. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and the mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hey, Paul got the resurrection there, a monumental chapter that defines the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he didn't stop at the resurrection. He wanted every believer that would read 1 Corinthians 15 to understand that death is swallowed up in victory. And he thought about it as a young man going through the scriptures and learning the book of Isaiah. He thought about Isaiah 28:5 verse 8, where it says death will be swallowed up in victory. I want to give you an assurance this morning. Death may claim this body, but death cannot claim your soul. Death may claim your breath, but death will not claim your existence with God. It'll be destroyed. And we're going to say this. So we're going to say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen this morning. Listen this morning. We're going to all go through the valley of the shadow of death if Jesus doesn't come. But the precious things of God is allowing God to hold your hand as you go through that valley. And the precious things of God are experiencing His grace being made perfect in your weakness. And the precious things of God are realizing that death is not the end. Death is the beginning for every child of God. It's understanding that death is graduation from this life. Paul said this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death is graduation for the child of God. Death is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And as Isaiah is writing this, he's thinking about the fact what a wonderful thing it is. He says the godly rejoicing because God has told him that death is swallowed up in victory. Hey, listen, frustrations are removed when we get to the millennium. But it gets better than that. Look at verse 8. And the Lord God, 
the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Hey, Jesus has got a handkerchief bigger than mine. All your crying, he's going to wipe it away. He'll wipe away tears from all faces. He'll wipe it away. Daddies that have predeceased us, mamas that have predeceased us, grandmothers and grandfathers that have predeceased us, children that have predeceased us, grandchildren, whatever it may be, you know what's going to happen? God, the Lord God, shall wipe away all tears from his eyes. I want to tell you this morning, our Lord and Savior will come to every one of us personally. He's going to wipe those tears from your faces. He's going to see those tears that stained your face. He, he's captured all your tears. The Bible tells us in Psalm, he's captured all your tears in a bottle. And he's going to recount those tears. He's going to look at you and say, I've seen those tears. I saw where you wept. I saw where you wept for sorrow. I saw where you wept for souls. I saw where you wept in your supplication. I saw where you wept during your struggles. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to come alongside of us. He's going to take those old glasses off of someone like myself. And he's going to wipe our faces. He says, it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to wipe it away. Thank God this morning, we get to, when we get to the millennium, we get to heaven, all frustrations are removed. Praise the Lord. The godly are rejoicing. Sometimes our perspective in life, our perspective in life gets us looking at the wrong things and thinking about the wrong things. We think about our problems instead of our priorities. We're thinking about our jewels when we should be thinking about Jesus. We're thinking about our goal we think we should be thinking about God. We're thinking about our careers when we should be thinking about Christ. And I'm saying this morning, I'm saying this morning, the godly rejoicing. Are you rejoicing? Are you happy this morning? Are you glad you're saved? They're rejoicing because of a faith relationship. We rejoice because of the fallen rebels. We're rejoicing because of the fortifying refuge Jesus Christ is. We're rejoicing because there's the feasting of the redeemed. We're rejoicing because all frustration shall be removed. We see the godly rejoicing. We see the righteousness of God as we close. Would you notice verse 9? Because verse 9 brings you and I back where we're at right now. Isaiah got a glimpse that encouraged his heart. If you're discouraged this morning, may you be encouraged when you drive out of this parking lot. And God brought him back to where he was at then. Because remember, from chapters 13 to 23, he's seen visions of the judgment of God upon the nations including, as we saw last week in chapter 22, the judgment of God upon his own nation, Judah. And Isaiah is an older man now. He's feeling the burden. He's feeling the heaviness. He said, God, this is good, but I'm still here. What about now? What about now? I've seen the righteousness of God. I've seen the rejoicing of the godly. But in verse 9, as we close, we see the raptured gathering. We see the raptured gathering. And he says in verse 9, 
And it shall be said in that day. What day? The day when the rapture comes. The day when Jesus comes for us. The Lord would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the trump of God, with the voice of an archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with our Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know what I say? again. Jesus is coming again. The rapture gathering. And when Jesus comes, you know what we're going to say? He's going to say this with a shout. Come up hither. Come up hither. And this is what we're going to say. Lo, that's our God. That's our God. This is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Brother, sister in Christ, it's all good. It's all good. The righteousness of God is good. Jesus is our righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own. We attain righteousness, the righteousness of God, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God points to the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The righteousness of God points to the fact that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The righteousness of God points to the fact that the godly will rejoice. The godly rejoicing. We can still rejoice because Jesus is not just on the throne. He's always on the throne. We can rejoice that we have a faith relationship. We can rejoice that the rebels will be fallen. We can rejoice that we have a fortifying refuge. We are rejoicing because of the feasting of the redeemed. We can rejoice because of the fact that we have all frustration removed. But we can rejoice this morning that there will be a rapture gathering. There is a day coming. It might even be today when the Lord will come for us. God is good. God is good. He's all loving. He's all merciful. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. He's all holy. Thou art my God. He's a God that's real. A God who wants you. To have a personal relationship with him. And you can. You can. You can call on the name of the Lord this morning. And he will save you from your sins. If during COVID-19. It's been a struggle. And you've been discouraged. And your relationship has become weaker. Not stronger. I've got good news for you. This morning. It can become stronger. He gives strength to the poor, strength to the needy. 
If your trials have increased during this time, thank God this morning he's a refuge from the storm and a shadow from the heat. Come to him this morning. Find your refuge in him. Find your encouragement in the Lord. Make or take a moment in your car today and say, Lord, thank you. You are my God. This is my God. Thank him today that he's given you more time to serve him and to worship him. And look forward with me for that day when we will have in-person services again. And look forward me to the day that we can go out as a mighty army serving God and reaching our air with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's continue to be patient and pray and trust God for what he'll do in our lives. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're doing really good. First, for every brother and sister in Christ, it's been a joy that you could come today. I wish we weren't in cars, but thank God we could assemble here. The gates of hell shall not prevail. But would you say this morning, like Isaiah, this is our God. Would you find your strength in him your refuge from the storm. Can you be encouraged this morning? Death will be swallowed up in victory. Will you be encouraged this morning that our God shall wipe all tears from all faces? He will. Will you feast as one of the redeemed? On the fat and marrow, the wine on the lees, he gives you his best. He gives you his all. He gives you himself. Take of the Lord and rejoice of him. Then this morning, if you're not 100% certain you're saved and going to heaven, I invite you this morning, right where you're at, by live stream, on Facebook, in your car, would you call on the Lord to save you today? Pray that sinner's prayer and ask Jesus to save you. Here's what you can pray. Please mean it with all your heart. Heavenly Father, good morning. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for all my sins and rose again from the dead. Right now, by faith, I take Jesus to be my Savior, my God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed this morning that prayer and asked Christ to save you, would you write down this number? This is our phone number, our text number for prayer works. Would you text me at 925 364-5075. Let me know that you trusted Christ today, whether you're watching by Facebook or live stream, or if you're here in the parking lot and you trusted Christ, would you let me know that today? Would you leave this morning with a heart that's encouraged, praying even more fervently for us to reassemble as a church, that we never take church for granted, we never take God's wonderful word for granted, or the fellowship of the saints for granted. 
rejoice this morning that we can exalt him and praise him for the wonderful things. It's wonderful that we're here today. It's wonderful that we can sing and rejoice in the Lord. Father, would you bless this congregation, even as the sun is breaking through the clouds. Let your face shine upon every one of your people, showing your approval, your favor, your love, your mercies, your forgiveness, your grace. It's been good, Lord, to assemble here. It's been good to get ready to come to church, worship God. We are the godly rejoicing because we have a faith relationship, because they're fallen rebels, because, Lord, that you're a fortifying refuge. Because, Lord, you allow us to feast as redeemed. Because, Lord, all frustrations will be removed. Thank you, Lord, that you let us rejoice. Thank you that we'll be part of the raptured gathering one day. Lord, everyone's going to be going home, getting ready for tonight's service. Help everyone to go home safely in your protection. Pray, Lord, that the COVID-19 virus here in Alameda County, by your grace, would trend downwards this week. We pray there'd be favor that you put in the heart of our Alameda County Public Health Director, that she would allow us to come back in in-person services. Keep your people from contracting COVID-19. Bless the faith of your people. Thank you for those who ventured out by faith today. Their hearts have been encouraged. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Dismiss it with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.